morning everyone. Thank you. Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Father, for your steadfast love. Father, I'm not worthy to share your word. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Completely wretched and wicked. But Father, I ask your grace, O Lord, that every word comes from my mouth, comes from you, O Lord, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, O Lord. And when you speak, help us to listen, O Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Amen. Now, Michael asked me to bring the word of God. And I prepared my sermon, but I now changed my mind. Right? So what I'm going to do, actually, we are going to read this book. So if you read in 20 minutes, you will be free in 20 minutes. If you read in one hour, you will be free in one hour. If it takes four hours, then you'll be here for four hours. So you can blame Michael. <laughs> no, I'm not going to punish you, okay? At least there is something good in me. Okay, two, my, the title of my message today is Full Gospel. And the reason I put the title for the gospel because particularly in my life for many many years I believed that there are five gospels. Four in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, John and Luke. But many many years back someone um, said that our life is fifth gospel. And I did believe. Now, Bible does encourage us to live a life which please God as well as witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should. But this statement which I heard in the past and believed was not true. Because gospel means good news. It is not an advice. The gospel is not primarily a way of life. It is not something we do, but something that has been done for us and something that we must respond to. In the Greek translation of Old Testament, step to John, the word evangelio, proclaim good news, occurs 23 times. As we see in Psalm 40 verse 9, ESV translation, I have told the glad news of your deliverance in the great congregation. The term is generally used to declare the news of something that has happened to rescue and deliver people from failure. In the New Testament, the word group 
Evangelion, good news, or Evangelio, proclaim good news, and Evangelius, one who proclaims good news, occurs at least 133 times. D.A. Carson draws this conclusion from thorough study of gospel words. Because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That is what one does with news. The essential heraldic element in preaching is bound up with the fact that the core message is not a code of ethics to be debated, still less a list of aphorisms to be admired and pondered and certainly not a systematic theology to be outlined and schematized. Though it properly grounds ethics, aphorism, systematics, it is none of these three. It is news, good news, and therefore must be publicly announced. And I think we are living in a world that many people today, they have heard the gospel, they believe in the gospel, but many people struggle to really uh, grasp the fullness of the gospel. Many people today in the church understand gospel in a very limited way. My sin has forgiven and that is true, 100%, but then they stop there. Some people, they just celebrate Good Friday and they feel good because someone in Jesus Christ has paid the penalty and that is even true. Some stop on Easter day and celebrate Easter as a festival. But they don't really live a life with a glorious hope of resurrection. Some may go a little bit further and celebrate the day of Pentecost, which I don't just read for us from Acts chapter 2. What happened when Peter preached the first sermon? Now, if we look full gospel, gospel is the story of God's salvation. And from Genesis to Revelation, there are main four parts. One is called creation, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Second, Genesis chapter 3, 4. And the result of all and the effect of all. When our first parent committed sin, what happened? What? Right? Consequences. And that goes from Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi in Old Testament. Almost 39 books. And then comes four gospel, redemption. And the rest of the Bible talks about restoration. So what I'm going to share with you in my message, the four things about full gospel. First, the gospel is always plan of God. It was not by chance, it was not by an accident, but it was perfect plan of God. Second, 
Gospel is the path of God. There is no other way. There is only one path. If I, you want to enter in the kingdom of God, there is only one path. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And the third, the gospel is the power of God. What Paul says in Romans 1, chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And the last thing, gospel is the perfection of God. Why? In Revelation, God says, Behold, I'm making everything new. God is restoring everything, not just a human life, but whole creation. And that's something we need to learn. When Peter preaches first sermon, if you see, and um, I think don't read, I don't know, it was an ivy or something, but I really like it. Like he said to his people that men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So Peter is saying now, listen, understand. All these people who used to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover from different region, right? And because of Alexander the Great, you know what happened the Jewish people, and then because of the Roman, they were scattered all over uh, other places. So they used to come in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover, remembering when God uh, told Moses to celebrate the Passover, when God took Israelites out of Egypt. So they were doing for many, many years. All these Jewish people actually know their Torah, Old Testament. They were waiting for Messiah. Messiah did come. But many of them or most of them did not really recognize. They were believing. They had a faith that one day God would send us the Messiah. But ultimately what happened, many of them joined with the other uh, uh, people like high priest and crucified Christ, but it was already written in the Torah, because Isaiah chapter 53 is very clear that it was the will of God to curse him. But they did not really understand. And now what Peter is saying to them, Peter is using the same pattern and telling them about the plan of God, path of God, power of God, and the perfection of and Peter started his sermon from uh, referring the book of Joel. And through Joel, God gave them pro pro promise that in last day, in last days, God will pour out the Spirit. And God did on the day of Pentecost. And we are going to be, uh, celebrate very soon, right? Because we already uh, celebrated uh, Easter. Now, what Peter is explaining them this is the last days, but last days sometimes we think that when Jesus would return, no, last days already began right after the ascension of Jesus Christ. So what happened after the ascension of Jesus Christ, what God promised was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And then he uh, 
basically from verse 22 saying men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god did through him in your midst as you yourself know this jesus so he's particularly pointing to a person this jesus whom they crucified this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So that was a God's plan. It is basically a gospel. Now when we say plan of God, sometimes we think that, oh, only the four gospel, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, basically God's plan, no. God's plan basically from the beginning. Now that's why we had this morning one uh, Bible reading from Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, which don't read for us. In that verse actually, what we see that God himself declared and disclosed his plan for us. When he declared and disclosed his plan, he said that the seed of woman crushed the head of the serpent. But the other side actually the serpent will, right, damage or Jesus would suffer. Sorry, let me just open that verse particularly, verse, chapter 3, verse 15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what Jesus went through, his suffering basically, that's a fulfillment of God's plan. And that's why when we learn and read or hear the gospel, we need to understand that gospel is not just in the New Testament, but gospel is throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But in Genesis to Revelation, gospel has a different parts. Gospel basically is a, like a coin, two sides of coin. One side is the person of Christ, other side is the works of Christ. But with the God's perspective, it is a plan of God, it is a path of God, it is a power of God, and it is a perfection of God. Now, when God actually planned this gospel, it's not that when actually our first parents committed sin. Because Bible teaches that it, God actually planned uh, this gospel from the eternity. The Bible also makes it clear that God has a unified plan for all of history. His ultimate purpose, a plan for the fullness of time, is to unite all things in him. In him means Christ. Things in heaven and things in all. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 particularly says that God would uh, make everything new in his time. To the praise of his glory, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. God had this plan even from the beginning. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. 
and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end. From the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 and 10. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, when the moment was appropriate in God's plan, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So what I'm trying to this morning that we need to understand the full content and the fullness of the gospel. The work of Christ on earth and especially his crucifixion and resurrection is the climax of the God's plan in the human history. It is the great turning point at which God actually accomplished the salvation toward which history had been moving throughout the whole throughout the Old Testament from the creation. God knew when God had created our first parent in his image and in his likeness that they would see. God knew. And that's why Revelation chapter 13 reminds us right, that God has written our names in the book of life before the foundation of the world and Ephesians chapter 1. And mention about the lamb which was slain. The present era looks back on Christ's completed work, but also looks forward to the consummation of his work when Christ will come again and when there, there will appear new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So as his people today, if we really grasp the fullness of gospel, we will be living like a people having a glorious hope, looking forward for the better heaven and the better earth. But Christ would reign and we all would reign with him. Without any sorrow, without any sickness, no tears, and everywhere Jonathan Edwards says, love. The unity of God's plan makes it appropriate for him to include promises and prediction at earlier points in time. And then for the fulfillments of this to come at later points. Sometimes the promises take explicit form as when God promises the coming of the Messiah, the great Savior whom Israel expected. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7. Sometimes the promises take symbolic form as when God commanded animal sacrifices to be offered as a symbol for the forgiveness of sins. Leviticus chapter 4. God gave his all right, all these rituals and every rituals and the laws they were pointing to Christ. In themselves the animal sacrifices were not able to remove sins permanently and to atone for them permanently. 
Hebrew chapter 10. They pointed forward to Christ who is the final complete sacrifice of sins. And that's something I think we need to understand. That gospel, full gospel, it is the plan of God. Second thing, it is the path. Now we know the path, right? The word path. Path basically a way. Right? And in my life and your life also, when we come to know Christ, that is basically journey, right? We have started actually new life and then we walk on that path. So we need to understand that it's not just what I feel or you feel. It's not something that what we believe or our family believe. But it is the gospel actually provided us a new path in Christ Jesus and that's why when Jesus called his disciples, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, just believe me. He said, follow me. And if we want to follow him, we need to walk on that path. I can't just walk on my way, on my path, and say, I'm following Christ. No, that's not possible. That's not biblical even. In the path of God, actually, we need to learn from Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. God makes a new creation to reflect his holy character. Throughout the world, man face this mission very quickly, Genesis chapter 3. Then after the story is a cycle of God teaching his creation about redemption and restoration of that new creation from Genesis chapter 4 to Malachi. This restoration begins when God comes in the flesh to dwell with man, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Redeem man's sins and reign over man as king, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. That process is complete when king comes back to his faithful kingdom to take the, the people for himself. And what we see in Old Testament, when God promised David and made a covenant, ultimately Solomon uh, build that temple and God's glory, God's presence was there. When you actually read Exodus in the last chapter, when you finish Exodus, the presence of God was in that tabernacle. That was the God's purpose. When God made a covenant with Abraham, God said, they will be my people and I will be their God. And that's exactly Revelation tells that I will be dwelling now with my people and they will be with me. That's basically the path. That is our destination. Genesis teaches that Jesus is the lamb at Abraham's altar. Exodus teaches that he was a Passover lamb. Leviticus, he was a high priest. Numbers, he was in the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Deuteronomy is the city of refuge. In Joshua, he was a scarlet thread out on the Rahab's window, protecting. He was a protector. In Judges, he, Jesus, in the Judges, was a righteous judge. In Ruth, he was a niece man, redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In First King and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. 
In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he is the Mordecai sitting uh, faithfully at the gate. In Job, he is our redeemer who lives forever. In Psalms, he is, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering uh, Messiah. In Jeremiah, Lamentation, he is the weeping prophet. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the midst of fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit who sent the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is a burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our savior. In Jonah, he is the great foreign missionary that takes the word of God in all the world. In Micah, is the messenger with beautiful feet. In, in Nahum, is the avenger. He will take the revenge for our enemies. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman that is always praying for us. In Haggai, he is the restorer of our lost heritage because of our first parent when they committed sin we lost but in Jesus Christ you know that we have this inheritance in Zechariah he is our fountain in Malachi the son of righteousness with healing in his wings in Matthew he is the Christ the son of living God in Mark he is the miracle worker in Luke, he is the Son of Man. In John, he is the door by which every one of us must enter. In Acts, is the shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. In Mark, he is the miracle walking God. In Romans, he is our justifier. Through Christ, we are justified. In Galatians, is a redeemer who redeems us from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is our unsearchable riches which God has given us because of his greatness. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he is our coming king who will come soon. In Philippians, he supplies our every need. In Colossians, is the fullness of the Godhead. In First and Second Timothy, is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's why we sing what our friend we have in Jesus. In Hebrews is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through his blood, God made that new covenant. In James is the Lord that heals the sick. And that's why in church we ask elder to pray for us. In the name of Jesus. First and second Peter 
He is our chief shepherd. First, second, and third the letter of John. He is love. John said, God is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 saints. In the Revelation, he is the Lord of Lords and Kings of God. This is the path of God. That is the gospel. Every book in the Bible talks about Christ. 39 books pointing toward Christ. 27 books in the New Testament pointing toward Christ because he's coming. And then Peter using in Acts also that God raised him. It is the power of God. Paul is using in Romans chapter 1 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and to the Greek. Why gospel is the power? Because gospel changes everything. Everything. Person, his thought, his perspective, his heart, his mind, his life, and that impacts his family. And when family actually get impacted, gospel changes the society. There is power in the gospel. In fact, the gospel contains the sense of God's strength, force, and ability. Paul explains that the gospel is the full power of God. An incredible statement. The word used for power is dynamis, from which we get the English word for dynamite, an explosive and self-contained power. Throughout the New Testament, this very same word dynamis is used everywhere Jesus performed miracles. Amazingly, the same word is used when uh, talking about uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It was dynamic power that raised Jesus and seated him in heaven, Romans chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, And was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then verse 19 in Ephesians chapter 1. Sorry, the previous reference was Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And the second one is now Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Gospel is the power of God. It changes everything. And that's why it's very important as a Christian and believer, we need to continually examine our life and see that power is it working in my life and your life. I'm not talking only about moral behavior modification. What I'm talking here actually is changing us from inside to outside. 
And as Paul says in other letters also that we go from one glory to another glory. And Paul says also that I have not achieved the perfection, but I'm going towards that. What he was saying basically that God is renewing me every day. And that's why God says our outer being fading away. And I know. But our inner being is renewed every day. What does it mean? The power of God at work in your life and in my life. It is the gospel. And the perfection of God lasting. Why gospel we call the perfection of God? In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So when God finished everything, God said it was very good. But up to five days when God saw, God said it is good. But on the sixth day, God said it was very good. Because God actually made us on that day. In his likeness and in his image. But because of the sin, that image and likeness, was corrupted. But the gospel actually make us new. And that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, what Paul says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. So God is making us every day new. We are basically going toward perfection. So gospel is the perfection of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We need to believe that he is making everything new. For believers in Christ, this particular promise is threefold. Listen, you are holy, you are covered in Christ's righteousness and declared righteous, justified in God's eyes, now identified as holy and beloved children. You are being made holy. You are becoming more like Christ every day, sanctified as the Spirit powerfully works obedience within you. It's so natural. I know we have responsibility. I'm not denying that part. But what we need to understand, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, that he who has begun good work in you is faithful and will accomplish. You will be made holy. When you exit this earth and enter in heaven, beholding Jesus' glory, you will be completely like him, glorified. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, this is place, listen. For those whom he pure knew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's not a future tense. It's a past perfect tense in English grammar. It's done. 
you and I may not experience that glory, I agree. But remember, gospel is the power of God. Working today, it will work tomorrow, until the day come when the Christ return in his glory. And that's why Paul reminded to the church in Thessalonica, right? That Christ would come in cloud. And when he would come, we will be transformed. Paul spent whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 explaining the gospel to the people in Corinth because some of them actually did not believe in resurrection. And Paul says if you are not really believing in the resurrection, then your faith is futile. Why? Because they had a gospel, but they stopped at the cross. And Paul said, no, 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 no. On the cross, God has forgiven our sin, but did not leave us. Otherwise, we would be miserable. Because we live in a glorious hope of resurrection. That one day, God would restore everything, including our body. And that's exactly Peter is saying to them, uh, when he refers Old Testament, particularly Psalms, and talks about David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be second, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in all, for you will not abandon my soul to others, or let your holy one seek corruption. And then Peter explained about the resurrection of Christ. And verse 31 said he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. And then ultimately, his, uh, Peter explained and disclosed and shared that for David did not ascend into heaven, but himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, seated my right hand. So Jesus is actually at the right hand of God the Father. And he concluded his sermon, let all those of Israel therefore know for certain this is true, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And that's why it is important for us as Christian, as believer, looking forward, but not forgetting what God has done in the past. Remembering reminding ourselves that Jesus has accomplished everything and when he said he's finished, everything done. But also at this time, every day, we need to live looking forward. And many people actually live a life not looking forward, but looking around. What's happening around me? What's happening in the world? What's happening in my life? And I'm not saying it's completely wrong. But the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. If God has done this, if God has a plan, and he already accomplished his plan for our salvation, if God has a path of God, right, gospel, he already 
revealed to us his path in Bible in 66 book and many things already done and the gospel is the power of God which is working in your life and the life of many around them don't you think that one day God is going to make everything perfect as he said then why we need to struggle I tell you why we are struggling there are three important things that as a Christian what Paul says in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 at the end of that chapter and I know that's a beautiful chapter in the Bible about love. And he talks about hope, faith and love. When we don't grasp this, the fullness of gospel or full gospel, we struggle in the hope. Like the people in the Corinth. When we actually don't grasp this one, we don't really understand the faith. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we struggle in our conviction. And that's why it's important that we grasp that fullness of gospel and love. When we struggle in our life, sometimes we question ourselves. And even we share with other people. I don't think God loves me. And I heard this many times from believers. He's punishing me. Oh, I have made some mistake. No, that's not right. When God says, I love you, and John recorded in uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. English translation is not good in that one. For God so loved the world, the world actually used them for the believers. In the world, God actually chosen people. Right? So God loved those in a manner, not quantity, in a manner that he gave his only begotten son. And the same thing John reminds us in 1 John chapter 3. What kind of love that God lavished upon us that we are called his children, so we are. So John is reminding us about his love. And that is the gospel. So when we grasp the fullness of this gospel, it helps us in our faith, in our hope, and the love which actually not that we love God. We should. But the love of God, which he poured out in Christ. And it's not for one time. It's not for something when we receive. It's eternal. And that's why Jeremiah says in Lamentation, your steadfast love never ceases. There are many scriptures, I'm not going in more detail, but uh, it is my prayer for all of us that God would give us this understanding. It's not just the mind, head knowledge I'm talking. What I'm taking, God give us that conviction that we are eternally blessed through this gospel. It is the plan of God, it is the path of God, it is the power of God and it is the perfection, perfection of God. I'll just take maybe two minutes and I want to tell you a story. Right? Just quick one. John Gedi, I don't know whether you heard about him. 
He was a Scottish-born Canadian Presbyterian pastor and missionary. Became known as the father of Presbyterian missions in the South uh, Seas, particularly Vanuatu or uh, those area island. For 24 years, he and his wife Charlotte faithfully proclaimed Christ, translated the scriptures, and planted churches in in uh, Vanuatu and islands that area. In 1834, at age 19, Gedi professed faith in Christ and his lifelong acquaintances with he, with missionary stories matured into a passion for foreign missions. During his theological studies, his experience a protracted period of poor health during which he, like his parents, wrote that if the Lord would restore him to full health, he would take the message of salvation to foreigners. The Lord answered that prayer. He was licensed by the Presbytery of Picuto in 1837, ordained in 1838, married in 1839, and with the full support of the Prince Edward Highland Presbytery, John and Charlotte Geddy set sail for New Caledonia in New South Pacific on 31st of January, 1847. After 18 months in travel, the Gedi finally arrived at their permanent mission's destination on 31st July 1848. Soon they discovered the depth of the depravity of the people to whom they were sent. Now listen, what was happening in that area in 1800. Women were considered a slave of husband. Hard labor was responsibility of the wife, and the suicide rate was high. Baby girls were on occasion put to death. When a husband died, the wife was immediately strangled so that her spirit would accompany her husband's spirit to the land of darkness. Further, any children who were too young to care for themselves were also strangled. If a son was old enough, it was his job to strangle, strangle his own mother upon the death of his father. Cannibalism was also common and the eating of corpses of fallen adversaries was considered part of the spoils of victory. And God gave me and Jyoti this year in January actually to visit that island. We saw that church. The gospel began steadily changing the people. By April of 1857, the practice of strangulation had been nearly erected and 1,400 people were gathering under local leadership of worship and communion at various young churches throughout the island. And this is a true story. Other new believers were being sent as missionary teachers to nearby islands as the work expanded northward. Through this year, six new missionaries from Nova Scotia Church joined the Gedis in their ministry. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. 